Long before I entered the seminary, I would occasionally peer on stages in the Akron area and up and towards Cleveland, usually out of default. I was not much of an actor. I was more of a backstage guy. I did design and construction and lighting. But when a company was desperate for men, and that happened occasionally, I might find myself on stage as a soldier or the rabbi's son or a giraffe or one time as a Higby's Jingle Bell rocker with Mr. Jingling. One time, I was absolutely trounced by the Akron Beacon Journal for one of these performances. It was a show that everybody in the show knew was a bad show. It, we, it was Twelfth Night, and we call it Twelfth Nightmare. But the earnest director assured us all that it was going to be well and encouraged us. On opening night, I appeared on stage in the most unflattering costume you might imagine for a young man who is already dealing with feeling awkward in his too skinny and lanky body. And I tried to perform a part that the director wanted that I was clearly not cut out for. And after opening weekend, there was a great big picture of me in the newspaper with my name and a horribly vicious yet accurate and embarrassing review with future dates and times so you could come and see the train wreck yourself. <laughs> it's one thing that if you do lighting and you get, get a bad review, you know, if the person, if, I didn't, if they didn't like my lighting, you know, you might say, so what? Or they might be right, but at least your picture's not there, right? And maybe I didn't get it quite right this time, or maybe it's exactly what the director liked. You just didn't happen to like what the director liked. But in any event, when your performance is on stage and you're trashed, it has a little bit more personal of a feeling. It feels like there's something about you that they don't like. I mean, there's your picture. There's that awful thing that they're saying about you. And they don't particularly care if you are a last-minute fill-in. You know, and you're just trying to put yourself out there and sell yourself. And someone goes, eh. And that's why people, when they're on stage, they don't say, oh, they hated my performance. They say, oh, they really hated me out there. So is it any wonder there's such a thing as stage fright? But as scary as all that is, the reason people still do it is because the applause is thrilling to stand out there on the stage when it's all over, having vulnerably exposed yourself uh, to an audience for two hours, and your family and your friends and a whole bunch of strangers are there, and they clap and clap and clap, maybe whistle. You can live on that for days. But the sting of people knowing you and not liking you can make you want to crawl into your bed and never come out. I was in the store the other day uh, up in Highland Square, and a guy came up and was standing right next to me looking at something, and I looked over, and I recognized him, so I did a double take. And he goes, you don't know me. <laughs> I said, you're right, I don't know you, but I recognize you. I've seen you on stage around the Akron area down at Stan Hewitt Hall and Coach House. And he kind of lit up and stood up a little straighter, 
and you know his, his he relaxed a lot because I liked his performances. You know, gosh, ah, oh, we like to be liked. We love to be loved, and even what's better than that is to be known for who you are and to be loved. There is not a well person in the world who doesn't want someone to know them thoroughly and still love them. And because we want that so much, we often cheat. We put a facade up of favorable characteristics that we present to the world and hopefully gain that love, maybe on a first date or going home to meet the parents or at a job interview. This is who I want you to see and to love while keeping certain other aspects of ourselves hidden, kind of like children's Christmas presents, only to be discovered later. But you know what is better than having the best facade in the world and having people love it? Is being thoroughly known for who you are with all of your beauty and especially with all of your blemishes and still being loved by the one that you love. The love desires not only to be loved, but to be known. And that's the phenomenal thing about Christmas. God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. There's nothing you can hide from him. And today we celebrate that God knowing you came after you just the same, out of love. And when God decided to visit his people, he didn't avail himself of our best clothing and finest food and four-star hotels and gilded ballrooms or amidst thunder and lightning and armies of angels and crates of treasures. This all-powerful being remarkably, amazingly, almost slips in through the back door. He is born in some do-nothing town in a barn where animals are kept, which sounds a little bit unsanitary and smelly, in a makeshift crib, and his parents. Imagine if you found out at your neighbor's, a couple of people came up from Florida, and she's pregnant and about to have a baby in the garage next door. You're going, "Mm, I'm not sure about these people. And then God appears. A weak, wet, wrinkly baby. The supreme being of the universe comes to us about as lowly as one can. And why does he come? To know you and to understand you at your weakest. To be accessible to you and to let you know he doesn't just want the glitter and the tinsel of you but the very part of you that even you don't like, especially the part that you don't like. Aspects that we hide, like Adam and Eve hiding in shame in the garden. And here's why. He wants to take away your shame. He wants to heal your embarrassments, and he wants to bring you peace. He wants to save you from your sins. But to do this, you have to offer all of that junk to him. Not just your, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh of ourselves, but our wounds, our flaws and deformities, our embarrassments, our insecurities, our addictions, our misguided passions. 
That's why we have the sacrament of confession, not the sacrament of bragging. He wants that junk, like a doctor who just doesn't want to hear about what feels good, or the tutor who doesn't already want to know what you're already proficient at, or the coach that doesn't just want to know what you're already good at. Unless you entrust to him everything that you lack, they can't help you. And so it is with the one who loves you so much that he came after you and is willing to follow you into that lowliest place imaginable and find you and love you in order to raise you up and transform you into the type of person that he sees in you, that he loves, and that he wants you to love. That's not magic. It takes work and it takes trust. And so we gather week after week after week, encountering the one who inexplicably loves us more than we can even love ourselves, and who slowly, through his word and through prayer and through the support of his body, the church, and through the reception of his body and blood and the forgiveness of our sins, we are slowly transformed into that better version of ourselves. That's what makes Christmas merry. And that's my prayer for you today, that you will understand that you are thoroughly known and loved, especially in the places that you need healing, and that he is here and ready to engage you whenever you are ready to be open to his love every day of your life.